You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 93. Hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and today we are talking about very specific techniques you can apply if people are resisting the project management process. Now, this is a three-part series that started with us addressing the very important role that timing has in implementing project management practices, because if you do it at the wrong time, before you've put some other things in place, ask some other questions, et cetera, you could end up implementing the wrong process or hitting huge change resistance. Then in the next episode, episode 92, we talked about who should own that project management process and how to make sure that you implement the processes in the right way to garner that really important and early support you need for your project management processes. And then finally, this episode, we're going to talk about the techniques that you can use to make sure that you implement these processes in a way that doesn't hit change resistance and what to do if you are facing change resistance. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by the Impact Engine PMO Training and Implementation Program. It's the only program on the market that helps you not only learn what you need to do and how to do it, but then takes you step by step through determining what services are going to be the highest impact, what order you should do those services in, and how to build credibility for you and your team every step of the way, all while helping your organization deliver on its strategy with the highest possible return on investment. If you're building a PMO for the first time, if you need to get your PMO back on track, or you want to up-level your PMO, this program was literally built with you in mind. I took my 15 years of experience in organizations as a PMO leader and combine that with the successes my clients and students have been having since I started PMO strategies in 2013, following this exact system. And I've put it all together in a program that takes you step-by-step on that journey. I'd love to have you join us. You can learn more by going to iepmo.com. That's iepmo.com to learn how to build an impact engine PMO with me, right by your side. Okay, let's dive in. Have you ever struggled with getting the PMO set up or getting the project management practices in place in your organization? If so, it may not be the practices themselves, despite what your stakeholders might say, but the way you are going about implementing those practices that is causing the problem. You may have heard me talk about the concept I call boiling the ocean when it comes to implementing a PMO and project management practices. The idea is that if you take on too many new things at once, because like me, you're probably super excited about the future of the organization that you're creating and you're eager to make a big impact, 
you might start hitting some change resistance along the way because of the way you are implementing those practices and if it's more than people can handle at one time. I love the enthusiasm and so do so many other people, including many of your stakeholders and your business leaders, until it comes time to start using everything. And that's where it all kind of falls apart. In the field of psychology, there's this concept called the stress response. It's how your body and mind react when you're in a stressful situation. And it's usually characterized by three different behaviors, fight, flight, and freeze. So what does that look like in terms of the processes you're trying to implement? Fight, you start to see pushback on the changes you're trying to make. People aren't using the tools and the templates that you've put in place. They fight with you even when their boss says they have to do it. Now, this is one of the more aggressive responses, but it's easy to spot because they're talking to you. They're actively resisting you. They are letting you know how they feel. There's another response called flight and that you've seen (laughs) when they run in the other direction when they see you coming and they're running pretty fast. Have you ever had trouble getting the attention of your stakeholders or They start acting like you don't exist. This one is is sometimes a little bit more hard to spot because they are going to tell you that they're going to comply, but then do something completely different the minute you step out of the room or get off of the Zoom. You may see this in the form of kind of passive aggressive behavior. You may not know this is happening right away, but over time, you notice Their actions are speaking much louder than their words, and it's not quite the message you were hoping to hear. Now, the third type is freeze. They just don't take any action at all. They seem stuck. It seems like they have no idea what they are supposed to do. Nothing gets implemented, and you feel like you're saying the same things over and over again until your face starts turning blue, and you've shown them how to use the process, and they just don't know how to engage, or they're just completely stuck. Now, any of those three scenarios is completely frustrating as the PMO leader or the person responsible for implementing project management practices. I totally get it. And some of the reasons why could be the things we covered in the prior two episodes, episode 91 and 92. You might have implemented the processes in the wrong time period, You might have done them too soon before doing the proper homework or investigation, or you could be giving them the processes they need before you've addressed the things that they want. You haven't had a chance to build up credibility, or you're doing it to them instead of with them, meaning that you're trying to implement the processes on your own and letting the PMO own the process instead of having the stakeholders that are going to use that process, whether they're project managers or not involved in helping you build it. So if any of those things are the reasons, then you want to make sure to go back to 91 and 92, where I talk you through how to address some of those things and how to get it right. But if you're hitting this fight, flight, or freeze, you might be thinking, okay, just tell me what to do right now, because this is exactly what I'm experiencing. So what do you do when you hit fight, flight, or freeze, when your stakeholders are not following the project management practices that you put in place with them. First, let's start with fight. 
if they're responding with the fight response, don't fight back, but be firm. Going slowly to implement the processes like I talk about, about baby steps and doing a little bit of a time so they have time to digest it, doesn't mean that you're going to let people push back into the dark ages of chaos when you are finally starting to make some progress. It means that you are standing your ground and continuing to press forward, but doing so in the right way. You want to keep making progress, but avoid creating a firestorm. A battle will only distract you and your leadership team from forward momentum. And by the way, if you do go into battle, you won't win even if you win. A defeated opponent is not one that is likely to cheerfully implement your process or tools in the future. They will just bide their time until the next battle or switch over to the freeze or the flight approach. Either way, you lose. Now, what if they give the flight response? In that case, you want to persistently stay engaged. Don't give them the opportunity to run away. Do the change with them, not to them, like we talked about in the prior episodes, and make sure that you're taking every opportunity to allow them to engage in the process of designing, developing, and implementing the best practices and tools with you. When you let them become a part of the change process and let them have a say in what gets implemented and how, you create the opportunity for better collaboration. That opportunity will blossom into them having a stake in the outcome. Now they want it to be successful too. Isn't that so much easier than chasing them around or fighting with them constantly? You will have to make compromises to do this, to get there, to do it right. But 80% of what you wanted to implement by compromising is a heck of a lot better than 0% if it's your way or the highway. And what do you do about freeze? Well, stop making things so complicated. When people are frozen, it might actually be because they think it's harder than it is. They might be afraid or overwhelmed, or they just don't quite know where to start. Making it less complicated is a great way to solve this problem. And that's not the same as dumbing it down. It's actually smartening your approach. You break down the work, you break down the change, you take baby steps, and you implement the changes slowly. That's why it's so important that with everything you roll out, you do it in an iterative approach. You don't wait until you have 863 steps in a process and 492 templates for them to follow, which by the way, that is a joke. Never, ever, ever, ever do that. Please, never. (laughs) You want it to be a lot simpler than that. But you don't wait until everything's fully baked for so many reasons, including the fact that they will feel like it's being done to them if you wait that long. But if you start to implement things maybe in a pilot group and you're including those people in your process of determining what would work and you're letting them help you design it and build it, like we talked about for the flight response, as well as in episode 92, that can go a long way to helping you actually implement something reasonable because what you're doing is you're building it with them and you're getting feedback from them and it's feeling like it's theirs to own. And it gives them time to digest and absorb 
and implement the changes in their own behaviors that you're asking for them to implement, which is not easy. When change feels like it's being done to someone, they will naturally resist. But if you ask me if people are resistant to change, I don't think so. I've met a few people that have gotten married on purpose and done a lot of other changes to themselves on purpose. They just don't want the changes being done to them in a way that is completely overwhelming. So let's talk about complicated process here for a second. You've got to make sure that the project management process that you are trying to put in place is not overly complicated or unusable. If it's complicated, hard to follow, or hard to figure out where they fit in, people aren't going to use it. Make sure you are keeping it simple and as streamlined as possible. Then once you've made sure that it's not the process and that that is easy to follow and you did the steps we talked about in episode 91 and 92 to make sure that the timing is right and that it's a process that your stakeholders have truly invested in, then you next want to look at making sure that the people that are supposed to follow this process know how to follow the process and what success looks like. So do your homework to understand the reasons for non-compliance before raising a red flag to others. If it's a knowledge issue, get them the right sized training and coaching support. Are you making sure they have the right resources? Is it easy to reach out and ask questions? Do they have an ability to follow the process in a self-managed way because it's pretty easy and straightforward. If it's a motivation issue, find out what their WIFM is. Their what's in it for me or the pain point that you're addressing by putting this process in place and tie their success to the overall goals that matter to them and to the organization. For example, If getting a promotion is on their radar of a stakeholder that's really not complying or they want to get that next key assignment, show them how a win on this project will help them get the needed recognition to get that next promotion or to get that really cool assignment. If that's something you can help with, such as making sure their successful project gets recognition, then offer your support there as well. There's a lot of PMO leader can do in this situation to make sure to toot the horn of the people that are following the process in a way that's helping them to achieve the results that the business leaders are looking for. Because by the way, your process should be helping them achieve the results the business leaders are looking for, right? Which is return on investment for the time, energy, money, and resources they're investing in delivering on this project. They're looking for an outcome. If it's a misunderstanding of their role, then clarify that with them so that you and they can agree to what they're supposed to be doing in this process. They may not really understand what their role is and that you're expecting something from them. Now, if you did what we talk about in episode 92 and built it with them instead of trying to shove process at them, then they should understand their role. And if you've already implemented the process, then now you might want to take a step back and work with them to 
come up with an adoption plan, to educate them, to support making sure the process fits their needs. All of that should be done with them no matter where you are in the process. If it's laziness, you can try appealing to their sense of responsibility to the community or to the stakeholders or the project team by showing them the impact of their lack of participation and make clear the impact of their actions or lack of actions on other people. That can usually guilt some people into participating in a process. If you can really show them how they're causing pain for other people in the organization, because generally people, I believe, want to do a good job and what might feel like laziness to you could frankly be a complete sense of utter overwhelm or confusion or being pulled in too many other directions. It may not actually be laziness. So sometimes you can help them feel the pain of what they're causing with other people by explaining it to them and opening their eyes up to that. Now, in any of these cases, they won't pay attention unless you have some specific metrics you can point to and impacts you can point to showing how much better things are when the process is followed and helping to achieve that return on investment for the projects and when it's not and what that looks like as well. Be prepared with facts though, not finger pointing or emotion because that's not going to get you anywhere and will frankly draw more negative attention to you than actually helping you solve the problem. Now, what do you do if those techniques aren't working and all of your efforts to address it yourself have left you frustrated and without any better results? Who else could help you solve this problem? Do you have an active and engaged sponsor that cares whether this process is being followed? Now, mind you, executives, business leaders generally don't care about the process unless you can show that that process is helping them achieve certain outcomes. So if you do have a supportive and engaged sponsor, make sure you talk to them in terms of how the lack of compliance in the process is directly affecting the outcomes of the project. And if it's not directly affecting the outcomes of the project, then you shouldn't be doing the process anyway. Your process needs to be driving those outcomes. So if it is, Engage that sponsor and tell them about your concerns, about the non-compliance, show some real clear metrics as to the impacts of them not following the process and the detriment it's having to certain projects. And this can also be done by the PMO leader that established the process, the PMO sponsor, your leadership team, or the leader or the boss in the area where the non-compliance is taking place. All of those stakeholders can get involved in this conversation and should be involved in this conversation. So here's how you want to have that conversation in a way that's going to keep it emotionless, fact-based, and productive. Make sure that you can clearly articulate the impact of the non-compliance, like we talked about, and that can range from pointing out how it's impacting other stakeholders because they don't know what's going on with the project or when and how they're supposed to engage, to the project isn't meeting the timeline or scope, quality is suffering, etc. Those are the kinds of things you want to be able to point to with real metrics. Second, you want to be able to show them how it's impacting the morale of the other project managers or the other stakeholders on the projects, maybe on that project or on other projects, because they are complying 
and they feel like it's not a one team, one fight kind of a scenario with that non-compliant person. So it's dragging everybody down. Third, you want to be clear about what you have done to help this person directly so that they see that you have made a serious effort and tried several options before escalating. Nobody likes a tattletale. Nobody likes a whiner or complainer. They want somebody that's going to have made serious effort and are only calling in reinforcements because all of that effort has not yielded the results it needs to, and you're concerned that this is having a bigger impact on the overall success of the project. And then you also want to make sure you are keeping this conversation objective and about the impacts that are being caused by the behavior and not let it get personal and make sure it's not a personal attack on the person. Remember, There could be some legit reasons that this person is not complying with the project management or PMO process. They could be completely overwhelmed. They could be getting pulled in other directions by their boss, or they could be actually being told not to follow the process by their boss. You don't know for sure. So you've got to be very careful. You don't make it personal. Now, once you've done these things, then and only then is it time to get a little bit more public? After you've given the options time to work and you've worked with them more directly and you've now escalated, you can try a more open approach. You can bring the issue to a more public forum like through the PMO leader or the portfolio manager. And if you are that person, then that's great. This is something that you can do directly. Maybe you have regular PMO or portfolio management meetings. And you can let the group know that you will be going through a routine audit to make sure that everyone has all the support they need to effectively use the process. You can let them know both a timeline to give them time to prepare and get into compliance, as well as exactly what metrics you are going to be using to ensure compliance. Now, I would highly recommend that this list of measurements be very straightforward and simple. The more complicated, the more it will feel like this is an audit that's becoming a lot of work in and of itself. And people, especially those that don't want to comply, will start complaining and draw attention to the intensity of your audit and claim that it's a distraction to them when in reality, they are creating the distraction away from the fact that they're not doing what they're supposed to. So make sure that when you do this, You do it as a way to be supportive and helpful, and maybe you don't even call it an audit. Maybe you call it just a review to see where there are places that you can improve and streamline the process. When you talk in terms of that kind of thinking, then that opens the door for you to be able to do some of this auditing, but don't make it painful. Don't make it hard to participate and keep whatever you're going to measure very straightforward. And it's not about checking boxes. Remember, it's about making sure that people are following process that makes sense, that will help them achieve outcomes. Then after you've done that, you need to give them a little bit of time to comply with these standards or your best practices or process making sure that you're giving them tons of opportunities for training and coaching and support. And then once the time of compliance has been satisfied, bring the group back together and review where each project stands. Your goal for that session is to gain commitment and support from leadership on the right level of compliance. 
or put the leadership team in a position where they can approve any non-compliance. You see what I've did there, right? Instead of you having to be the process police, you can share with the sponsors of the leadership team, here's where we were in compliance and the outcomes were seeing on those projects. Here's where we were not in compliance and the outcomes we're seeing on those projects. And then let the leadership team sign off because frankly, if you can show directly that not following the process has made it so those projects are failing, then they're not going to approve it. And now you have their support in bringing the stakeholders that were not following the process back into compliance. Now, Did you pick up on what I said there that they need to approve it? Because there might be a reason why certain projects would not have to comply. You may not like their reasons, but at the end of the day, if the leadership team is the one making the active decision about whether or not something can be out of compliance, when and how it should get back on track, et cetera, if they're taking responsibility for that non-compliance, then you've provided the information that you need to and then you need to let go of the outcomes. Emotionally, that is. You still need to track it and make sure it happens or doesn't and that you're documenting that, but you've got to be able to emotionally detach from the outcomes and understand that it's their call, not yours. That's the thing. You don't want the PMO to be the process police. You don't want to be the one running around wagging your finger at people not complying. Nobody wants to deal with somebody like that. That's super annoying. So don't be that person. Let the leadership team lead it. Your job as a PMO leader or someone that's implementing project management practices is to provide the information they need to make educated and informed decisions, facilitate all of the projects achieving that high return on investment. And you do that through others, not by owning all of that yourself. Because the goal here is to get to the source of the problem and get to a decision on how that problem is going to be addressed so we can cut back on the drama being caused by angst, headaches, frustrations, and all of that. Then, and only then, do we get to go back to getting it done and focusing on our goals, which is achieving that high return on investment. Your energy is better spent there than fighting the wrong kind of battles. Now, as you're going through this, here are a couple of thoughts before we wrap up for you to think about to help you maintain your sanity when you're going through all of this. Implementing project management best practices in an organization is tough work. And the results you see or the resistance you face is not directly a reflection on you. So don't take it personally. You need to understand that their response is simply a natural response to fear triggered by change. That's right, even this kind of change can trigger fear. Why? Because it's pushing people into the unknown. Now, if you do the things we talk about in episode 91, 92, and even here in this episode, you should be reducing that resistance. And frankly, you shouldn't have resistance if you're doing the change with them instead of to them. And I know you're thinking to yourself, but this is a change that's good for them. This is the medicine I know they need. I know, I get it, but they don't. And remember, you are in charge of delivering this change to them because you are the expert. They are not. 
They may not have seen all of the benefits that you have in implementing these practices. They may not know how much their lives are going to improve, even if it's totally obvious to you. So go slowly. Understand that you need to bring them along with you in the process. And whatever you do, just practice patience as best as you can. Frankly, I often joke that it wasn't motherhood that taught me patience, but building PMOs and creating change for over 25 years now is what actually taught me how to really be patient with others in going through change. Now I joke, but it's actually probably pretty accurate. I may think differently in a couple of years as my son has finally hit his teenage years, but we'll come back to that. So you're going to need to figure out how to be patient with this process one way or another, or it will drive you crazy. Having sleepless nights over templates and best practices just sounds absolutely silly, doesn't it? Okay, Impact Driver, that's it for part three of the series of implementing project management practices in a way that helps you maintain your sanity. Don't forget that if you want help to go step by step by step through this process of building, running, rescuing, or up-leveling your PMO, definitely check out the Impact Engine PMO training and implementation program where I take you step by step through this journey to build that high-impact PMO. Just go to iepmo.com. I would love to have you join our impact drivers making big things happen in PMOs around the world. And if you like what you heard on today's episode, definitely make sure you hit subscribe and download those podcast episodes so they are with you no matter where your PMO journey takes you. Bye-bye for now.